0: Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us.
1: It's a most auspicious time. We commence our Ango and Jukai season for this year, and uh, in that way we continue a tradition going back 2,500 years to the time of the Buddha, about 800 years to the time of Dogen, and a way that has been practiced in all Buddhist cultures in some way, and uh, is very traditional in the Zen world. And yet, we're doing it in our newfangled way. Uh, Not only at a distance, using technology, but also doing it at home, people not in monasteries, So exactly what is traditional about what we're doing? I say, my thesis that I'm going to present to you is, most of it is actually surprisingly traditional. It's not a matter of where you are. It's not a matter of who you are or how you do this. It's not a matter of how we communicate. It's a matter of understanding the real values and messages of Ango and Jukai, which has always been beyond place and time. And whether you're a monk or whether you're a lay person, there's always been room for lay people at home in the Jukai. So I put up uh, some writings and some history and I'll just summarize the first part. Uh, in the Buddhist time, there were rainy seasons in India, and uh, mostly he had his monks, most of the time, wandering here and there. Sometimes he'd have them wandering. We have a little visitor here. Hello, fly on. We have a uh, rainy season in India. And he'd say, at this time, stop your travels, stop your wanderings, and come together. And the purpose was that it was just not practical for people to travel during the rains, but also it was one of their few opportunities during the year to be together, see their brothers and sisters, mostly their brothers because they were kind of more sexually segregated in those days than we are. It was a time, you may hear that the war helicopters from the military base have been flying over us this morning. That'll be part of our lesson too. It was a time for people to communicate and get the teachings. Frankly, in some ways, you have more access to the teachings than maybe they did even in the Buddha's day. Yes, they could hear, of course, the Buddha's words now and then, I suppose. they gathered for the Ango. But the rest of the time, how did they hear these teachings wandering here and there? So they would gather to learn, to get the to get the memo, to build the community. And then when the rainy season was done, they would be off again. In Dogen's time, at the beginning of his practice, he was very open. He was in the big city of Kyoto, and he was very open to anyone practicing. Male, female, layperson, priest. He said, all are welcome and all practice the same. When you sit zazen, there is no layperson or priest, male or female. Later, he ran into some political problems with the church, And they chased him out of town, the old conservative institutions. And he had to go to a place where literally he was just with his monks isolated in the the snow in a very remote part of Japan. And he focused on his monks. And sometimes in his words in those times, you know, he was like a coach talking to his team. And he'd say, yeah, you got to be a monk to really get this, you know. It's not for lay people, it's for monks. But then, as soon as a lay person would show up, it was very funny, Dogen. It depended who he was talking to. He would also say, yes, but I I didn't really mean that. It's for lay people, too. It depended who he was talking to. But all through his words is the message that this is not about time and place. And I'll show you that. We're going to go down and look at some words from Master Dogen's Ango. And you'll see exactly what he had to say. It's the section that begins, To meet a summer retreat is to meet the Buddhas and ancestors. To meet a summer retreat is to realize Buddha and to realize the state of an ancestor. So already he's saying that, you know, the long vanished Buddhas and ancestors of centuries past, they're right here, you see. And when we engage in this practice, they're present. So he was also kind of beyond distance and time, you know. When we gather in this way, it jumps through the calendar. It jumps through who's alive and who's not in this world anymore. They're all present with us. It jumps through whether the Buddha is something we can see or not see or just in the heart. It's present, you see. That's what he's saying. When we do this practice. He's also saying it's the summer practice. Frankly, we start a little late. It was in the summer during the rainy season. We're at the end of summer, okay? So it's, we're also stretching time in that way here too. The very end of summer that ends in December. <laughs> In this 90 days makes a summer, though the measurement of time is a cerebral measurement. It is beyond only one kalpa or 10 kalpas and beyond only a 100,000 kal- kalpas, the endless errors of universal time in this 90 days. In this one moment, in this one zazen kai we're having here for a few hours, is all the time and all the places of the universe, if it's in your heart. You see, that's what he's saying. This summer retreat has not come here from another place and another time. I have to shout over the instruments of war flying over us today. The base, there are military bases here, and for some reason they take a right turn right over our zendo. So let us, show. To those who are keeping us safe, may they never be used. The summer retreat has not come here from another place and another time. And it does not originate from just this place and this time. You see, it's not about distance. Hello there, Mexico. Hello there, Vietnam and Ukraine. You see, you're all here. When we grasp their origins, the 90 days come at once when we grope for their basis, the 90 days come at once. The common and the sacred have seen these 90 days as their caves and as their very lives. I like that. You're leading ordinary life, common life. You're not living in a cave. Well, maybe Anna, I think she's kind of living in a cave. Maybe do you there too, from what I understand? Yes, you have your your little caves, but most of us are leading very ordinary lives. I think he makes the point it's not just about that too, you know, but the 90 days have far transcended the states of the common and the sacred. He says it even clearer there. This, what we're doing, transcends the common and the sacred. Another thing to remember, and I often remember this, is this is a little controversial what I'm going to say, but when someone entered a monastery in the past, it was not necessarily the step down into a hard life that you may think it was for a very simple reason. Someone said, oh, I could never be a monk. I have, you know, my, my, my cell phone and my Netflix and my computer and I got my car and, and my air conditioning. I could never live like a monk. And I'd say, well, Yes, I know it's hard for me, too, because I live in a house with Netflix and a cell phone. And, of course, I understand this. But, you know, 2,500 years ago or 800 years ago, it wasn't hard to give up your Netflix and your cell phone because they didn't have it, you see. Outside, we said the war machine is passing overhead. Outside, there were actual wars. Poverty, hunger disease, being isolated. When you entered a Buddhist group, in some ways, it was a step to stability and comfort. I know that's hard for us to understand, but you went to a place that was nonviolent, where pretty much you were guaranteed healthy food in moderation. You had what passed for medical care in those days even. A dry place to sleep, companionship. In some ways, Dogen and the Buddha designed their communities not to be denying of the body, to be helpful, healthful, healthful, balanced and moderate, you see. And it was not only about monks, he invited lay people and you're going to see Dogen invites lay people too. And it's very hard for us, maybe even harder because we do have cars and air conditioning and Netflix and all this. But this is a call for you somehow to remember this message of not self-punishing, but non-attachment to these things. I like to think my beautiful house here, if it burned, Tomorrow, Hopefully my family would get out. That would be my main consideration. But if my house burned down, you know, you know, Jundo enough, I'd be right in front bowing and saying, thank you. And then we'd move on. I'd probably cry a little. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to say I'm beyond all attachments. I'm no saint. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm checking out Netflix tonight. I'm watching, you know, the one anyway, I got two more chapters of, of uh, Game of Thrones. Please do not give it away. Okay, everyone's really upset about it. I don't know why everyone's upset about the ending of Game of Thrones, but anyway, I haven't. Don't give it away to me. So anyway, um, this is a call to moderation. But it was then because the Buddha and Dogen had fairly wealthy followers who were landowners, business people out in the world. Sometimes daimyo, those are the the lords, the political politically connected in China, the elite was the scholars and the rulers. They were very interested in Zen, and all the Zen priests would say, "Look, you know, we need you guys to do your jobs to keep the economy and the world functioning. And anyway, we're not going to try you to tell you that everyone needs to become a monk. But once in a while, you come here to our monastery, and you remember that it's not about things and it's not about the money and it's not about power and it's not about violence. And then you go back out in the world and you try to remember that too. So this is what our ango is. We gather for a time to try to remember that it's not about the ordinary world too, only, too much. All right. Of course, uh, Doyu and Anna are already living like monks, so I'm, they can teach us. So anyway, he continues. If you practice the retreat for three months from the beginning of summer, you will abide in the pure state of a bodhisattva. Your mind will leave the state of a shravaka. Very important message here, however you interpret this. This ango is not about you. This ango is dedicated to all the sentient beings. And this is not for you to just find your peace and contentment. This is for you to serve others through this ango. I know that may be sometimes hard to realize because we're sitting, we think, I'm sitting, I want to feel peaceful. We are always doing bodhisattva practice for the community, for the world. So the Buddha continued. When the day of the retreat arrives, say before the Buddha the following words. You may repeat with me if you'd like. In order that I, bhiksu bhiksuni upasaka upasika so-and-so. By the way, this is very important. Upasaka upasika, which I always remember of that song from the 60s, you don't know the American song. U- Uga-chaka, U- no, anyway. It's way before your time. Anyway. Upasaka, Upasika were lay people. You see, Dogen very specifically says, lay people, take a vow. Now, it was, you know, they separate male and female here. We don't have to do that. Just say your own name. Forget monk or lay. In order that I, say your name, who rides upon the bodhisattva vehicle, may perform tranquil practice that i may harmoniously enter dwell in and maintain the pure real form that i may make the great round realization like the the great round realization the whole universe into my temple that body and mind may practice this retreat and that the wisdom whose nature is balance, and the peaceful, natural state of self may be without hindrances. May I be all clear. I now respectfully ask, without relying on the state of a shravaka, without being selfish, only concerned with myself, to practice the three-month retreat together with the Tathagatas in the Ten Directions. You see, you're practicing with every Buddha everywhere and throughout time. And the great Bodhisattvas. By virtue of enacting the great causes of the supreme and fine truth of the Bodhisattva, I will not be involved with others. Now that phrase, first I read it a couple of times. I had to look into some other translations. A better way... To say it was, I will not be entangled with worldly affairs. I will not be entangled with worldly affairs. I will separate my heart a bit from all the greed, anger, and ignorance of the world. Good sons and daughters, this is called a bodhisattva's manifestation of the retreat. Now... A lot of this is a reminder in your own heart that we need to be nonviolent, free of anger, free of excess desire, and free of attachments to things, a little bit. So you're going about your normal life there, I assume, and we've asked you a little to put down something, you know, put down the chocolate. Put down the Netflix. Which I'm going to put down as soon as I watch those last two chapters of Game of Thrones. That's not my vow this time. I'm putting down the, the sweets. This time. Because it's a reminder to be free of things and to be free of violence, no matter where you are. What we're doing here, this long distance kind of Ongo, this is not original to us in the sense that many, many Western Zen centers have developed commuter angos because their members are working people. So they've told people, please come to the Zen center a little more, then go home. Please sit a little more, then go to your job. This is not original to us because I think even in Dogen's time, he knew that people... not come for the full 90 days it's hard to ask out in the world people so people would come people would go i'm sure this next section is about someone who broke the rules and a stickler for the rules tried to toss them out and saying you violated the rules of ango we're not only going to throw you out of this ango we're going to throw you out of the sangha and the person they wanted to throw up Throw out is sitting right there on our altar, Manjusri, who we bow to and take take as a symbol of our Zen practice. And Mahakashapa, who was our first ancestor, you know, Buddha held up the flower and Mahakashapa smiled. You know that story. Great guy, our first an- ancestor, but a stickler for the rules. And uh, Manjusri, apparently, was a little loosey-goosey. All right? Why is this important? Because it's in Dogen's rules, this story I'm about to tell you. Dogen has this chapter, Ango, which is the most, how to say it, detail-focused, a little bit perhaps obsessive on how to do the procedures for Ango that you can believe. It is... If there was a technical manual for Microsoft software, Dogen would have written this because it was, you know, place your finger here, turn to the right, bow to the left. He wrote this incredibly detailed chapter on how you must do Ongo. These are the rules for Ongo when you're in the monastery. And so people say Dogen was a man for rules. And then for some reason at the end of this incredibly detailed Ango chapter, he puts this section and says, by the way, it's okay to break the rules. Why is this important? Well, one reason there are people out there who say, you can't do Jukai like you're doing online. You can't have an Ango at a distance. Your Jukai ceremony, you're looking through our camera. And I say, yes. And they say, like uh, here this is wrong. Get out with this ceremony. And I say, no, we're Manjusri. It's okay. Dogen said so. And they say, where did Dogen say so? And I read them the story and they go, okay, go ahead. So um, let's read the story and you'll see uh, some interesting things. Once, this is Dogen's words, by the way. Once when the world honored one was doing the 90 day summer retreat somewhere, on the final day, the final day is the end of everything, and they have a big closing ceremony. When the ceremony of public repentance was held, Manjusri suddenly appeared in the assembly on the last day. Where have you been? Wherein Mahakasho, uh, that's Mahakashapa, asked him, so where did you do your retreat this summer? And Manjusri replied, this summer I did the retreat in three other places. Now, I'm going to tell you those three places, and I did not understand this for a long time, and I've given this talk. This is not the first time I've talked about this section, but it finally hit me what this means today. I, couldn't fi- I thought it just meant he's out in the world, any place. He said, I've practiced in a demon's cave, a rich man's house, and a brothel. And I said, well, that's even a little too loose-goosey for me to say I did the ango in the brothel. So what is he saying there? And then it hit me. I practiced in the demon's cave means I practiced out in the world with anger. I practiced in a rich man's house meant I practiced out in the world where people have Excess desire for things. And I practiced in a brothel means another place where people have excess desire. I practiced with greed, anger, and ignorance out in the world. Not literally, he was not just in a brothel drinking and partying. He was practicing out in the world with desire. And that's where his Ango was. Get it? I just got it after all these years. At this, Mahakashapo assembled the community, intending to have Manjusri expelled by striking the wooden fish. Would you get our wooden fish there? Here's our wooden fish. Okay, get ready. Get ready to strike it. Show, show everyone. You're going to strike the wooden fish. Get ready. Stop. Sit down. But just as he raised the hammer to strike the wooden fish to expel Manjusri, he suddenly saw innumerable, innumerable Buddhist temples appearing everywhere. He could see that there was a Buddha with a Manjusri at each place and another Mahakashapa at each place, his hand raising a hammer to expel Manjusri, every place, countless places. Whereupon the world honored one spoke to M- Maka- Mahakashapa and said, So, uh, Big Shot, which Manjusri do you want to expel now? They're everywhere. Everywhere is the Ango. Everywhere is this moment, you see. Mahakashapa was immediately dumbfounded. So then um, Dogen recited a a poem here by a master Engo. If the bell is not struck, it does not ring. If a drum is not struck, it does not resound. Mahakashapa, he's not criticizing Mahakashapa. The guy who sticks by the rules, good ango. The guy who practices in the world, also a good ango. That's the point here, listen. Mahakashapa had already grasped the essential function of a summer retreat. No problem. It's okay to follow the rules. But Manjusri had also rid himself of duality by means of his doing meditation throughout the Ten Directions, everywhere. That's also a good ongo to do it everywhere if you free your heart of duality, greed, anger, ignorance. So the very moment, uh, this story is an excellent, excellent one for ex- it expounds the functioning of the Buddha's teaching. How regrettable to have missed such a move. And it continues there. And then it goes down to a poem, a very nice one that basically says, everybody do your own angle. A great elephant does not play about the narrow path that a rabbit makes. You're the poet, man. These these old Zen guys, they never said things. What? Elephants, rabbits, what does it mean? The elephant walks like an elephant. The rabbit hops like a rabbit. You see, you do your angle. And what could a little bird know of a great wild swan? Swam. It was just as if Mahakashapa had created a new way of putting the matter, matter while staying within the rules and regulations. It was just as if Manjusri had grabbed a flying arrow within his teeth, really gotten the point. Oh, that's what I mean. gotten the point, got the arrow in his teeth, you see? Having already broken the target, the whole universe is one with Manjusri, the whole universe is one with Maha you guys be friends. You're both cool, All right? Face to face, each is solemn in his authority. Maha kashapa raised his hammer, but in which place will he banish Manjusri? Which place is not our temple? Manjusri did it kasha. Okay, so that's the point there. So by the way, uh, people said you also cannot have a face-to-face sem- uh, ceremony. I wrote uh, something about that uh, in response, about our face-to-face ceremony on uh, a, a Zen group, uh, not Tree Leaf, elsewhere. And it said this. Someone wrote to declare that physical face-to-face presence is required for a ceremony like ours. How could you do that with a merely online ceremony? And I wrote, yes, they're right. Physical face-to-face presence is vital, not only for the preceptor, that's me, but for you, the preceptee, and for Buddha and Buddha meeting the bodhisattvas and all the ancestors because they are all fully present in attendance at that sacred time. If you read the ceremony, it says the Buddha and the ancestors are here. And you go, where? I don't see them. Ah, right here in your heart. That is face-to-face presence. Do you think that you're seeing the world right now? You're seeing light that's going into your your brain that creates an impression of my face. Even if we're in the same room, you're seeing a mental image of me. This is just a continuance of that. So I said... Please drop all thought of distance and time, and the Buddhas and ancestors are here. In such dropping, there is total facing. Buddha is here face to face, which is just your face. Thus our ceremony is as face to faceless face as one can face. Just face it. An online ceremony such as this helps sentient beings know that what is seen by the eye is not quite what meets the eye. Thus, we are old friends of our community who partake in this ceremony, hearts intimately shared, one and Sangha Dharma Buddha, face to face to face to face, because it is a ceremony held within a Buddha's face. Dig it. I can rap. Okay, so... Uh, Anyway, Dogen just finished this and I'll get to the to the end here. So just to emphasize this, Dogen underlines it. So the world honored ones doing the summer retreat in one place is equivalent to man doing it in three places and neither is not doing the summer retreat. If someone is not doing the summer retreat, then that person is not a Buddha or a bodhisattva. So Dogen says it's important to do the retreat. What's not important is where or how, if your heart is pure. There is no account of an offspring of the Buddhas and ancestors not doing a summer retreat. You should realize that those who do a summer retreat are the true offspring of Buddhas and ancestors. Doing a summer retreat, Dogen never just, you know, he wanted to emphasize his point, man. Meetings with Dogen must have been long because he... Man, he could really. Doing a summer retreat is the body and mind of the Buddhas and ancestors. It is the eye of the Buddhas and ancestors. It is the very life of the Buddhas and ancestors. Those who have not done a summer retreat are not the offspring of the Buddhas and ancestors. They are neither a Buddha nor an ancestor. We now have Buddhas and ancestors, be they as humble as clay and wood, or as precious as silk, or silk as gold, as wondrous as the seven precious jewels, all of them, all of them, hear me, all of them have performed the retreat of sitting in Zazen through the three months of the summer. This is the ancient custom of abiding within and maintaining the treasures of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. In short, if you haven't gotten my point yet, those who reside within the house of the Buddhas and ancestors must, by all means, I do emphasize must and do practice the sitting of three months of the summer. But it doesn't matter if you're Mahakashapa, and it doesn't matter if you're Manjusri, in all the places and all the times. Out in the world, remember, free your heart a little bit, of greed, anger, and divided thinking. And then you have a wondrous Ango and Jukai. Okay, now Dogen, maybe he said this after he gave this impassioned talk. Okay, guys, any questions? Let's use this wonderful new technology. I wanna see how this works here. Uh, someone, question please.
2: Oh, please. Yes, uh, You know, this is not a question, but a comment and a little experience to share to all our Sangha members who are um, doing Ango for the first time. It's very easy to think that you have to get it perfect the first time. And one can get very stressed out because of this. And... We want to, to have it all right and perfect and, and, and we um, just, just stress out about it. And I think part of this period of training is to commit or to make mistakes, to, to really see where you can um, improvise a little bit after Angle ends and it's all practice. And if you commit even to making mistakes, then your angle will be joyful and full of growth for every sense and being, not only, uh, not only for the one who's practicing angle. And my other comment is that, speaking of my personal experience, after my first angle, all my commitments became part of my regular life. So, after the first angle, all my life was angle. Then, for the second angle, I uh, made some other commitments that after that second angle, they became part of my life so it's it's like a huge uh, snowball of practice that is modifying your life and it's very curious because after several years of doing angle, you start to question what on earth am i going to give up this time and and that's also fun because you've been giving up things for so long that now your life is so pure simple and and awesome because everything is angle after your first angle so um stick with it pay attention enjoy your mistakes and your angle might be a great experience at the end. Uh,
1: What he said is so important. I just want to underline it. I said my giving up is going to be sweets, right? This is a little bit like the Weight Watchers diet, or even, if I may say, Alcoholics Anonymous too. Of course, if you slip, it's not the end of your ongo. Quite the contrary. If you actually, oh, I just ate that chocolate cake, forgot, you know, get back on the horse.
2: I'm going to it's be there of, helping you out with that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's part. It's part of the. I think to to slip up once in a while is human and it's part of the process. Of course, we try not to, but you know. And uh, I pick uh, giving up sweets because it's also helpful. Frankly, I, I got a little bit of a sweet tooth, so. Okay. Uh, any other question? Anything here? Who's waving their hand? Yes, Anna. Anna kissed. It says your name is. Who did you kiss? Anyway, I'm not going to ask. You have your mic? I do there now. You. Can you can you hear me? Yes. Um, go, going
2: on from what Kionan was saying,
3: uh, I am probably most looking forward to. Uh,
1: the anger period uh, being that period that will follow on in terms of
3: what I've given up or what I'm renouncing and things like that during this three month period. I'm hoping that that will then be my norm. And then the following
1: Ango and following anger, I'll continue to develop be the best person I can be, blah, blah, blah.
3: And, uh, yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to the experience and I appreciate all the
1: support. And I think that's what, and if you continue that a little better and a little better, maybe in this life and next, eventually you get to be Buddha. So we'll join you. Do the best you can remember, of course, we were all human and, uh, We're just trying to be the best human beings that we can. There is an aspect of this practice that as long as we're in these human bodies, we must honor that fact. And yet we try to be Buddha, which is something more than this world. How the two fit together. Let's just try to do the best we can, the most healthful way we can live. And that's our path. One more question before we uh, move on. I I like this new system we have here. Anything from here? Okay, I'm going to announce. Oh yes, yes, Brad. Yeah. Uh,
3: good morning. Hey. Um, it's not so much a question, but it's a more of an observation because I've done some practice periods at monasteries before and at meditation centers, and you're. So one thing that you really said that I found interesting was, uh, in my experience, even today, there's really good conditions for practice there. Really, really good. Everything's scheduled. The food's all made. um, (coughs) Meditation cushions are set out. The instructions are clear. And there's a daily regime that you follow. And all you need to worry about, really, is practice and your mind and, you know, how you're working and then. I'm quite excited because this is my 1st outside of outside of a practice center. And to be honest, I think it's going to be a lot more challenging. Um, just because, you know, you're surrounded, like, my life doesn't stop. Things are going to happen. Uh, I'm committing to more practice daily, committing to more commitments on tree leaf. And I, I really do think it'll be more challenging. And that's something I'm quite looking forward to. Because I really need to look at practice in life and how the two come together. Um, so I'm open to any advice or suggestions because several of you have done this a lot longer than I have. Um, but I, I don't expect it to be a cakewalk. I think it'll be quite
1: challenging and rewarding at the same time. Yeah, I, I often remind folks of this. The Buddha did not say that practice out in the world is impossible. He actually said it's the harder practice Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) when you go to the monastery you're removed from your human connections your responsibilities are in a sense kind of taken away your worldly responsibility right out in the world with all our temptations and challenges and frustrations the buddha said that is the dusty world it is easier to practice in the sangha removed so yes, it's a challenge. Now Kyonin, by the way, he's coming to Japan, and we're going to. Our, our I think our four hours zazen kai is going to be a little respe- rescheduled the next couple of months to, for because Kyonin's uh, coming, but he's coming in part. Hopefully, we're arranging this to sit a, at a very traditional Japanese retreat here. Which, by the way, uh, Kakunin uh, mentioned something. They sit there, Kyonin, each time seventy minutes. Apparently, get your do your butt yoga, please. All right, you're gonna need it. Yes, sexy.
0: I uh, just to to sort of follow up on, on some of what we've been talking about here. One of the one of the delightful things, one of the real joys of of zazen, is that when we're sitting, we will meet our ongo commitments, unless Shindo has has got you know a candy bars hidden away in his sleeve and he's working on it. When he's sitting. <laughs> yeah. No, when we're sitting, like I think this is part of the meaning of, of practice enlightenment that you mentioned, Brad, is that when we are sitting fully in this moment, we're at the very least meeting all of our ango commitments. We're, we're not watching Netflix, we're probably not drinking, we're not whatever your commitments are. Um, you're probably meeting them when you sit, so so good sit every day. meet your commitments <laughs> and uh,
1: if you don't remember that uh, Danny here is is with her drum show them the drum again <laughs> she has the she has the fish drum she is waiting to expel you if you all right I'm, anyway. <laughs> It's getting to the little bit silly part of the day. It's the heat here. Boy, it's going to be another hot one here. Uh, Shall we sit very briefly? And then we have a special treat today. I'm just going to tell you, uh, in place of our usual uh, ritual of the hokey pokey, uh, we're going to be doing a uh, a scuba dance that uh, Danny is uh, going to teach us. So uh, get ready for that. So let's just sit zazen for a minute, and uh, then we'll... Do the scuba ondo,
0: which means the, the scuba dance. Mm-hmm. Scuba dance. Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.